Welcome to the Gridiron Show, the AFC North off-season special. Kind of something we started a few months ago, doing some off-season specials, division by division, and then it all went out the window as news happened. But we've got a great show for you today. Brandon Williams, Seth Deval, George Iloka, Matt Sherry on the line, Ollie Hunter in the living room with me, and the return of Hashtag Office Gossip. This is the Gridiron Show. Hello and welcome to The Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. If you've not heard TGS 144, we discussed the Vegas move to the Raiders and all the Raiders move to Vegas, Ethan. I'll get that the right way around. And all that was associated with it, including the potential impact on London. Then go back and listen to that because you also get to hear from the brilliant Ben Mortimer on our trip for this coming season to the deep south of America. We're going to be going to a Saints game. We're hopefully going to also get to either a Falcons or a Titans game or both, depending on what the Thursday night and Monday night football schedules look like. We're going to get some Friday night lights, a couple of college games as well. It's going to be a brilliant time and it's going to cost you around the two thousand pound mark an absolute bargain so uh yeah get involved go to touchdowntrips.com for further information ollie hunter we've we literally recorded this off the back of the other one so how's it going buddy the funny thing is after chat after chat with sherry and uh forgetting the faffing that ensued prior to recording the last podcast I'm happier now. I even did the air drumming during the intro music. Is this because you're going to visit Matt Sherry for business meetings and stakes and golf and you're not inviting? And, and baby as well. Baby time. Yeah, love a bit of baby time. Beautiful. Matt Sherry also with us. Hello, Matthew. What are you doing? I never know what he's doing back there. <laughs> it was just like he fell down the stairs. <laughs> Sherry, that? are you all right? I'm fine. Did you did you drop the phone or? I never dropped anything. I, I had it on loudspeaker, um, and when I talk and it's on loudspeaker, you don't hear me. So I had to like take mute off, take loudspeaker off, and re- respond quickly and try and make that a seamless process. Ollie's now going through my vinyl for some reason. Oh yeah, but I saw that. Yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah, have a look at that later. Come on, let's get on with the show. Uh, so this is going to be our AFC North special. You're going to hear from George Iloka, <laughs> defensive back from the Cincinnati Bengals. You're going to hear from. Uh, Do you know what that moment was like? Brandon Williams. That moment was like you know in Pulp Fiction they open up the 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 suitcase and it's just gold. Yeah, <laughs> that moment there was like that. I've forgotten what that's called. Uh, MacGuffin. Yeah, Mag- that was a MacGuffin. Yeah, that's incredible. Had our very own MacGuffin. <laughs> was that the first MacGuffin of the podcast? Probably not. It might be. Um, well, yeah, so this, yeah. Isn't all, that MacGuffin one of those things that you do in golf when you want to retake your shot? I'm not talking about golf. You two haven't invited me, and I'm very sad. Uh, I could be a caddy. <laughs> I might not be good at golf, but I, I could, could be just, a caddy. Basically, I want to come along and just get drunk. I would, and drive I would a have, cart slash I would have you more carry of a, your bags as a pack horse donkey or something. <laughs> we just put the clubs on you, <laughs> and you walk. Oh, yeah. Don't you ask walk, me to help with shot selection. <laughs> you walk really slowly with with everything on top of you, and we'd be like Sherpa golfers. <laughs> You're the. Uh, sorry, carry on. George Iloka. Uh, yeah, George Iloka, Brandon Williams of the Baltimore Ravens and Seth DeValve of the Cleveland Browns. I just all sabotaged all of that. I'm really sorry. It's not a problem, honestly. Um, and we were also discussing the fact that there was this podcast was meant to come out last week and we were meant to record it. I had a personal situation, nothing interesting, we won't go into it. But <laughs> the reason that Ollie didn't want to do the show last week is because he was horrendously hungover. Yeah. Um, and this is why it's the return of. 
office gossip because he was horrendously hungover. Yes, because we had work drinks at our, with our new uh, uh, overlords. Uh, <laughs> That's a fantastic way of putting it. <laughs> at News International, we we went down there. Uh, I was out on the terrace, but I had to work that night, so I went for an hour, had a couple of beers, and then went back to work. Did you see the view of London? I did see the view of great London. Great view, isn't it? It was a cracking. St Paul's view. looks great. It's a really cracking view. It's a great city, everybody. Make sure you can get there at least once. Hundred percent. Uh, and when that's our new offices, because that will happen, Matt Sherry can come down and we'll show him the view as well. Sherry, we could go to Borough Market again. It's right next door oh, to Borough let's Market. Do it. Yeah, it is right next door to Borough Market. And we could go and get some dried meats and we could go and sit out on the terrace. Tortillas just down the road as oh, well. Oh, mate, this, it's going to be a great time. Yeah, yeah. But the point When's is. When's this happening, guys? Uh, well, we've not moved offices yet, so we don't know. But when it does happen, we'll let you know. So. We went down, we had beers, we chatted. I, I networked with one whole person from the other office, so I definitely did my job. Ollie went... So I left at half six to go to work. Ollie didn't get there till about half seven after he finished work. Yeah. I finished work at kind of half nine, quarter to ten, because I was only doing a couple of hours. I text Ollie and I just said, oh, are you still out, mate? Going to go and meet him for beers. He texts me back saying, oh, uh, actually going home after these ones. Like a couple of people were staying out, but Ollie was going home. And I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to go home and see my wife. I then found out later that I missed him back saying, oh, well, let me know if you're staying out or if you want to meet me for a beer at Waterloo or whatever. Are you heading back towards yours? Didn't get a message back. He didn't even read my message. I then found out the next morning, Matt Sherry, that he had not only stayed out, but he went out in Soho and stayed out till three in the morning. That's, Good work, Ollie. That's an exaggeration. So I got, basically, I got home he, told me, he told me he was leaving and then stayed out and kept drinking because he didn't want me to come out with them. I, I think uh, it's because of the way you trade them, Will. I think we saw this at the Super Bowl, didn't we, that sometimes <laughs> Ollie needs to just branch out on his own. Are you, are you absolutely kidding me? The way that you, <laughs> with that you as a group him. treated me in San Francisco... <laughs> Uh, well, what do you think, Ollie? Utterly Is that about right? I, I don't know what either of you are talking about. Uh, I would like to preface what I'm about to say with, please, guys, drink responsibly. Drinking is not cool, nor is it fun. It is both of those things. Um, the only reason I know what time I got home is because I had an Uber receipt uh, <laughs> on my phone. Could I would have loved to come out and drink. I had my phone posted back through the letterbox by my Uber driver, who'd written a nice note. Thank you. I still need to rate and review him. Oh, I need to get in touch with my Uber driver. I left my headphone cable in there. Sorry, carry on. Oh, so is that what we were all faffing around for? Yeah, 100%. You've just remembered. Yeah. Brilliant. Well done, mate. Fantastic stuff. So what? So I turn up at... Uh, what's going Matt, on, Matt, Sherry? Matt Sherry's become a folio artist for a 1940s horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Creaking doors and heavy breathing. That's incredible. <laughs> so but ended up at this place. It was a free bar. As soon as I arrive... That everybody does, ever, Sherry. You've come across these women where, and Will, you must have as well, where they're really tactile and flirty. Well, I know the women you're talking about, yeah. so yes. So the, this particular girl was hammered, and she came up to me, hands all over me, in front of Adrian Durham, uh, who couldn't believe it. The, the the his his face was like the most shocked face ever, all over me. Oh, what are you doing? Touching me, touching me inappropriately, um, and I don't really fancy this girl, so I kind of just. Yeah, great. You're, you're really drunk. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll push you away. It transpires that this girl, uh, let's say, had a liaison in News International's Lose with another person. Uh, who, who was? Who was? Of, this, of a similar sex. 
gender, the same gender. So, <laughs> so this has happened. They all go off to one pub. We go off to another. And she's texting me, "Come, come to Soho, come to Soho." And I'm like. Well, what am I going to do? And at this point, Ollie thinks to himself, I'm going to go to Soho, but the one person I definitely don't want there is Will Gavin. I just kind of forgot about you, mate. I'm really sorry. Uh, so I, I rock up to Soho. It transpires that there's no way that I'm going to, even though I don't fancy the girl, I'm anything else is going to happen. So I decide to drink a bottle of Prosecco by myself uh, with other, pe- other people around, but no one else wanted any like more Prosecco. of my Prosecco. Uh, and, um, yeah, it... it, it it uh, ended up that I didn't uh, remember how I got home, what happened, or or anything else. So it's it's there could, anything could have happened in those ensuing two hours from when I forgot what was going on and I got home. The further element of this uh, conversation, Sherry, yeah. is whilst that is a story in itself, the aforementioned people of the story. When Ollie arrived at the second bar, there was some more flirting touchy feeling going on there was another there was a there was a guy that was uh, getting off with another girl there was there was some there was basically it all got a little bit uh debaucherous it was a little bit like you know a, a roman baths and ollie decided to relay this information to john jackson a good friend of all of ours who came to the super bowl this year and john decided to text the person in question and question whether or not she had had a threesome with a guy from work Ollie then got a text is going, I'm going to kill you. What have you said to John Jackson? Uh, and yeah, this is... But Ollie basically is, is in a horrendous amount of trouble over all of this because he started spreading rumours about I people. Didn't, yeah, but I didn't actually say anything about this to John Jackson. It was through soundproof glass. I said, because he was on Virgin Radio, he only had three listeners. That is accurate. I was on the same side of the glass as you, and I thought you were talking about a threesome. That's, no, you did not. You're, you're, you're trying to mug me off here, and that's not what happened. I know what's going on here. I do know what's going on. I always know what's going on. Apart <laughs> <Ollie. laughs> from when it's back there. Yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. never know what's going on, Ollie. <laughs> that's, it. that's 100% correct. So, so all Ollie's all, in all sorts of trouble at work with a girl that might fancy him, but we're not 100% no, sure. No, she definitely doesn't. Well... It, it, I, but it's and and then I get in on Monday morning and we do Monday afternoon and we have a pre-show meeting. Darren Goff, Adrian Durham on the show I work on at uh, Talksport. Um, well, no, you've got to contextualise it. Otherwise, people are like, "Well, what's he on about?" Yeah, my best mate, coffee. Anyway, uh, it's amazing. This is a low point for you, Will. As a man who drops <laughs> more names than this is, yeah, anybody this else is, <laughs> Sherry, I'm so glad that you brought that up. So, before we start the show meeting, Adrian Durham stops everything and goes, there's only one thing that we need to talk about first. Ollie, what on earth was going on on, fr- on Thursday night? What happened? Did you go home with her? So I then had to relay the whole story back to them. All they needed to do was listen to the podcast. Well, yeah, they could have done that. <laughs> right, that was 15 minutes of our life we're never going to get back. Well well done, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie needed to get it off his chest, and I'm still angry at him for not inviting me out for drinks last week. So, uh, How can you be angry? I'm angry. Yeah, you're angry. But there we go. Should we hu- hug it out afterwards? No. You're going to get out of my house as quickly as possible? Yeah, I need to get to work, yeah. <laughs> uh, should we talk about the AFC North, guys? I was hoping Matt Sherry might interject there, but maybe he's got us on mute or just thrown his phone across the room again or something. I'm still here. Let's it, do it. Why do you sound so dour right now? Got it. I'm really struggling with allergies. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. If there's anyone that's got allergies, it's Sherry, isn't it? Bless him. It is. That's he's, me. He's sorry. a great man. You are uh, a great man. <laughs> uh, 
What Wait. you need as a giant baby is more injections. What team would yeah. we? What team would we like to start with, boys? Which is the Cleveland one? Cleveland Browns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's we're going to start with the Cleveland Browns then, uh, and we're going to let's hear from Seth DeValve first of all because it was a really interesting interview. Seth DeValve, uh, first year tight end, uh, backup tight end, but caught a couple of touchdowns last season, and uh, we got into it with him about um, the first year under uh, Hugh Jackson, what he's like to work with, what it's like as well coming out of the draft uh, as, as a as a guy fourth round pick who uh, maybe wasn't going to be going straight into the offense. Uh, it, it was just it was fascinating. He uh, he wasn't the most uh, loquacious man in the world but he had some really interesting things to say and so uh, this is our conversation with Seth DeValve of the Cleveland Browns uh, Seth DeValve uh, first year tight end or second year tight end I guess as of the 1st of March yeah, yeah. I would say first year but oh, we'll still go with going, first year then. going into second year yeah uh, coming out of Cleveland uh, a Princeton graduate yes that's correct uh, we're uh, joined by somebody far more intelligent than either you or I that means Ollie I'm afraid uh, <laughs> sorry what <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, drafted by the Browns in the fourth round as one of the many picks they brought in on the offensive right. side of the ball this first season under coach Hugh Jackson and so simply what did you make of the Cleveland Brown of your first season with the Cleveland Browns you know I really loved it I uh it was a tough year no doubt um it was an unacceptable season uh, a disappointing season um and everybody in the building knows that um but the the biggest takeaway I'd I'd have is uh my respect for Hugh Jackson and I think my teammates would agree um he's an incredible coach an incredible leader and he he, uh, he held the guys together during that difficult time. You know that was a rough season, probably the roughest season any of us have ever had. So um, it was great being just an athlete as opposed to a student athlete. It was great, you know, having my own place. It was great playing in the National Football League and contributing on offense and special teams. Um, and it was great playing with Hugh Jackson for Hugh Jackson. It was a uh, was a good experience. I'm in, always intrigued by that, obviously when you're working with the special teams and with the special teams coach, how much interaction you have with, say, your offensive coordinator, your head coach as yeah. well. Because yeah. uh, I know you got on both sides of the ball. I know you got on there on offense, caught yourself a couple of touchdowns as well. So yeah. a nice first season. Yeah. But how, when you first get into that building, who is it who you are dealing with from day one and how does that kind of initial process begin? Yeah, so the people I spend the most time with are my position coach, uh, which, which was Greg Seaman. Mm-hmm. Um, who coached tight ends. He's now going to be coaching quarterbacks for the Browns. Um, I spent I spent a lot of time with the special teams coordinator, uh, Chris Tabor, and um, Hugh Jackson probably third because he works very closely with the offense. Um, those are the guys I work probably the most time with. But the, other than that, it's the guys in my, in my room. It's Randall Telfer, Gary Barnage, the other two tight ends. Um, that I spend the most time with while I'm there. Gary Barnage is a, a vintage, of a vintage age. Uh, <laughs> That's a, a nice way of saying. Well, it. Yeah. you know, he's an old guy. What he, can yeah. I do? He has experience. He's got experience, and he had a really great year last year. Right. Uh, a, a little more tricky this year. Mm-hmm. Josh going out, and I know Josh personally. Um, <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> Josh McCown going out, and uh, the the, the uh, unsettled position at quarterback but you must have learned a lot from from Gary as well yeah through throughout that year yeah yeah no doubt Gary um you know had a had a really good year last year as you said um came into the year with high expectations and um you know it's hard to it's hard to meet those expectations every year um and as you said the team is different every year and the situation is different every year 
but he uh, he didn't make the Pro Bowl last year by accident. Yeah. He's very good at what he does. Um, he knows how to be an effective blocker as well as an effective and very good route runner and receiver. And um, you know, he helped me learn what it's like to be a pro. And um, being in the room with him each day and spending a lot of time with him definitely benefited me my first year. You mentioned Hugh Jackson at 14, uh, well, 0 and 14. Yeah. How did he keep the morale up? How did he keep you guys going? Because a lot of people were thinking this is going to be an 0 16 team. Even though you'd actually played some really good ball pretty much throughout, it, you just couldn't keep that consistency throughout an entire game, unfortunately. So how did he keep the morale up until that San Diego game? Yeah, he stayed very positive. Um, he, he talked about, you know, just keep chopping wood, you know, and the fact that, you know, sometimes you just got to come back to work each day, um, especially with our team. And we had, the, uh, we've had, we had the most rookies on our roster than any NFL team has had in 10 years. And, you know, he said, we got to develop. The only way we're going to get better, especially with this kind of roster that we've got, is we've got to come in to work every day, regardless if we win or lose, and we've got to put the work in to get better. Mm. Um, and that's what we did. You know, the the most of the margins of victory weren't were not big. It wasn't big things we needed to fix. We needed to do the little the little things better, and that's what we're continuing to work on. What was it like when that uh, field goal by Josh Lambeau was? I think it was pushed right, um, and you guys had finally won a game. Uh, I, yeah. I should think the relief was was insane. It was. It was a huge monkey off the back. You don't want to be a team that goes 0-16. You don't want to add to that uh, that statistic. Um, literally only the second team it ever It would to be have the second. It. it would be the second, yeah. You, you know one wants that. Which is not as bad as the first, but uh, it's probably almost just as bad. It's an elite yeah. group and not in the right way, that's for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> right. I, I wonder as well, so you have that moment of elation, that moment of joy... And then not only that, but three hours later, you find that the 49ers have somehow managed to throw away a ridiculous, uh, throw away, not throw away a loss, but somehow turn over a ridiculous win by going for two right at the end of the game. And therefore, you get your number one pick back as well. So it's kind of the perfect day for you. <laughs> you, you get your win and you still get to pick at the top of the draft. It couldn't have been better. Yeah, that's a, that tends to be a popular topic. You know, we could care less, to be honest with you, inside the building, whether we've got the number one draft pick or not, at least. I think, you know, you, I don't, I think you might feel differently when you've got to block Miles Garrett in training. Next yeah, season. you know, we want to win games. We're not playing for draft position. That's my point. We're not playing for draft position. We're playing to win the game, obviously. I mean, the, the, the biggest takeaway I had from that win was, you know, this is how we could feel every Sunday in the National Football League. Like, th this, like I already love my job. Mm -hmm. If we were winning like this every Sunday, I, I would, this, this would be the best job in the world. You know what I mean? That's, that's, what, that's what I was thinking during that time. That's what the, the Pats and the Falcons have been telling us all week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You talked about Gary Barnage and, and the, that kind of dual skill set that he has as a tight end, the, the ability to block, but also the ability to be a great pass catcher as well. How have you found that development, particularly the step up to NFL level where it is faster, more physical, everything else that is the, the, the National Football League? Because 
I think you see guys like Travis Kelsey this season who has developed his game over three years to the point where he's one of the best pass-catching Titans in the league and has been since he came in. Yeah. But he now can block. He can block at the second level. He mm -hmm. can, you know, he sets guys free constantly. And, and now he's maybe the best all-round tight end when mm -hmm. Rob Gronkowski's injured. So, uh, <laughs> which is frequently. Which is frequently. Yeah, there we go. You said it. I didn't. Uh, so... How did you find that jump up and trying to maintain both of those skill sets? Do you sometimes think to yourself, you receivers have got it easy? Yeah, no, I know. Um, <laughs> I would say the, the jump up uh, for blocking was a bigger jump than uh, receiving and route running. I felt very comfortable uh, running routes and receiving the ball, which probably has to do with my wide receiver background. Um, I'm more classically trained as a wide receiver. Um, that's why I played in college. And... But blocking was different because the guys were, are, at this level, just bigger and stronger and better athletes. And so if you don't have proper technique, it gets exposed very quickly. And, um, you know, I had, to, I had to, to improve in that area early on fast in order for me to, be, to get on the field and play. And then the Browns go out and get a guy like Jamie Collins and some, somehow... Blocking in training gets a lot harder in yeah, one day. No, that's true. Yeah, the first week he showed up, I was like, yeah, this guy's good. This guy's good. I could tell right away. Yeah. Talk to me about Terrell Pryor. I mean, he could do everything. Can he be a tight end as well, do you think? <laughs> I don't can know. He, can he block? I, I mean, he can, he can catch, he can throw, he can run. Um, what, what? I'll tell you what. He, if the coach asked him to, he would. His problem, tight end's probably not... Titan's probably not the best fit for him. <laughs> I think he's... It's such a political way of saying it, isn't it? It's such a well-measured answer. <laughs> he's really trying hard. Not no, I think, I, think, I think wide receiver uh, proved to be a great fit for him. I don't think there's any need to change that. Um, but he, he is a... He is more dedicated than I think most people give him credit for. And he'll, he'll do anything the coach asks him to do. And a lot of people forget how long he's played quarterback he processes and prepares for the game he processes the game and prepares for the game as if he's playing quarterback he sits in the meetings and can tell everybody at their positions what they're doing mm. you know what i mean because that's what the quarterback has to know and that's how he prepares for games and i guess as a, a former quarterback he knows exactly what he wants his receiver to do yeah uh, or, or he knows exactly what he should be doing for his quarterback right. when, when being thrown to right terrell's the terrell's the guy who's drawing up plays on uh, monday and tuesday and bringing him up to hugh jackson's office and saying hey we should run these plays i've got a feeling that hugh goes yeah come back again next week get terrell yeah yeah <laughs> uh, brilliant um i wonder as well you're out here with, with chris and, and with lee and the guys yeah. and uh, yeah, you're coming out as a first year guy but there's a huge number of uh, rookies out here with them and you've just been through the process that they're going through right now only yeah. 12 months ago and it's unique in almost any sport or almost any walk of life this process is going through right now. Right. So what advice are you imparting on them? What, what are you saying to them for the next two, three months of their lives, which could change it? Yeah. You know, there's so much emphasis put on training for the combine and training for the pro day. And it, it's important. You know, you can't underplay that because, you know, that my performance in, in those events were uh, what was crucial for me getting drafted where I was but what I would say is training for those things is not like training to be a football player and so when by the time rookie minicamp comes up you've got to train differently for rookie minicamp and for, for playing football mm. than you have been training for months for combine and pro day 
So if you train like that all the way up through, you're not going to be prepared for uh, rookie minicamp because you're not just running 40s and pro agilities at rookie minicamp. You're playing football. So make sure, you know, if, if I could do it over again, I'd probably start sooner training for uh, actual football practice as opposed to just worrying about how fast my 40 or my pro agility was you know this whole time so we spoke to Lee this year and last year as well and I get the feeling that he's brought his stable of, uh, of, of guys coming out of college and, and yourself and Curry Lee and uh, he's brought all of these guys here is a lot of it to, to get them used to speaking to the media get them kind of savvy speaking to the media because it's, it's, it is different in, it from college because you've got college media and occasionally there's yeah. a national interest and then all of that getting used to speaking to people with a microphone or whatever does that then help you when you go and meet a team owner or a team GM or a team head coach when it comes to uh, impressing them with something other than your, your your physical abilities on a combine or f from the season. Yeah, well, you just said it. I mean, all that stuff is true. Um, there's, you know, the more connections you can make, the more people you can talk to, uh, the more people you can get in front of, the better. And, you know, Chris doesn't do anything. Chris and Lee don't do anything halfway, you know, so they want to give us all the opportunity that they can. Mm. And so this event, you know, is is one of those things where we can meet a lot of people and talk to a lot of people and yeah sure practice you know speaking um and being personable uh for when that actually will really matter yeah. you know? and then so, tomorrow you guys get to cut loose and have a bit of a party that's right that's right that's Great all stuff. that is also why we're here well we look forward to seeing you there it's been really whoa, whoa, whoa. oh sorry is there a coming to britain Next year, next season. Oh yeah, that's true. Coming that's to true. Britain next season. How you, did I forget about that? I was so deep in Browns X's and O's chat that I didn't <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> who would have coming, thought? Coming to the UK, facing the Vikings, playing at the grand old Twickenham Stadium, which yeah. is a rugby stadium. Which is, I mean, we're desperate to see an American footballer do a lateral a la rugby pass oh, yeah. in an actual game <laughs> a, a desperate might be I am desperate for that we, um, uh, that's good to know I'll put, I'll put in a good word I reckon Terrell Pryor will do it I think, well actually <laughs> I think if there's a head coach who's, who's kind of willing to take a bit of a risk it might just be if you've seen some well of I can tell you if we do it it's not going to be the, uh, the underhand it's scoop like it's, <laughs> it's going to be the it's going to be the option flip yeah sure yeah <laughs> uh, do, you, uh, do you know much about the UK have you been out have you been there before and uh, are you looking forward to sort of coming over and showing the UK fans what Browns football is all about yeah you know I've never been um, never been to Europe never been to the UK um, looking forward to it it's certainly an unprecedented opportunity and um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it'll be fun to play in front of a UK crowd. And uh, also, if you've got to buy the next week, a lot of players bring over their partners uh, and, uh, you know, make a kind of a little... Stay a little, a little bit. Make a stay of it, a little huh. trip of it, especially if you win. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of nice. Yeah. I'm just saying. Um, I'm, I'm just not sure saying. if we do have a buy the next week. I haven't looked that closely at the schedule yet. But. I don't think it's been organized yet, but if you do... It, only one team yeah. hasn't had a buy, so most likely you. Oh, uh, I see. They're trying to be uh, trying to be nice. Yeah, yeah. With the, with a time change and everything. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I, I doubt if they let us stay. <laughs> They're probably going to make us come back on the team plane, but that certainly sounds like a great idea. I tell you, it used to be the case that players were allowed to stay, but now it's get out of the stadium, get in the bus, get on the plane. Yeah, and you're, it's you pretty know, locked down. You doubt you're back in Cleveland by the sort of same time of day you would be if you were playing a night game on the West Coast. It's right. no real difference. Yeah. So. Um, look, now I can finish the interview. Is that okay, Ollie? Yeah, you can. Seth, <laughs> <laughs> so, it'll be really good catching up with you. Uh, we look forward to seeing you out in the UK later this year, and uh, uh, good luck with your off-season and enjoy. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great Cheers. stuff. Seth from the Cleveland Browns there. So, I mean, different to what we did with these shows earlier in the off-season where we were kind of very speculatory about what the teams needed to do, the Cleveland Browns have already done plenty of things. They have gone out and sorted out their offensive line in a big way, yeah. um, and they have gone out and they made the trade, which we don't need to go back into the details of the trade. We talked about it a lot at the time. I suppose the question is now, the draft is a month away. What do the Cleveland Browns do at the draft? Where are they going to look for their quarterback? And is there any chance that Brock Osweiler starts games under centre in Ohio this season? Uh, maybe if there's a, a Raider leg in Ohio that he can join, because I, I don't think he'll be start for the Browns, will he? Um, I don't think it's that. I, I genuinely don't think it's that unbelievable that if they couldn't get what they wanted for him, that they would consider keeping him around. I think they'll keep him around, but I think even Cody Kessler's got a, a better chance of the job than he has, and that's not even wow. counting the guys who could could come into the building. I mean, for me, why don't they just sign Jay Cutler? He's still out there. He's floating on the market. He's clearly better than anybody anybody they've got on their roster and anybody out there. I'd love to see him with Hugh Jackson as well. There is an interesting element from a talent perspective of what he would do with Hugh Jackson. But for my money, when you're rebuilding your team from the ground up, is that the guy you want to come in and influence? Potentially as well, if you're going to go out, not with the second pick. Say, Say at pick 12, they go and they get Mitch Trubisky or Deshaun Watson. And they also sign Jay Cutler as a free agent to start for the next two years whilst that person gets up to speed, because as we've been told several times before, these are all developmental quarterbacks. Is Jay Cutler the guy you want to be the mentor to your man of the future, the guy you want in your locker room? It just doesn't feel like the right fit from that perspective. Yeah, but he's better than... uh, They need to to start winning some games immediately as well. That's, That's kind of the the thing that needs to happen this year and I think Jay Cutler gives them the best chance to do that I kind of think what happens with Brock Osweiler if you look at what happened last season and Mark Sanchez getting a, uh, getting picked up for a first round pick by the Vikings and, and you know quarterbacks as you approach the season and as training camp happens and as people see what they've got in their own building and injuries happen and everything else I wouldn't be that surprised to see Brock Osweiler still with the Browns at training camp but that they're still out there looking for a potential trade partner if something happens. Because I think there are still people in the league who look at what he did in Denver and will believe to themselves that, mm. OK, this guy isn't worth $17 million a season and everything else, but actually I think there's something there that we can work with as a team and the problem in Houston was the fit, the offence, everything else. I disagree. I think his stock is so low, so low, that he's gone to the Browns and we're talking that he won't even play for the Browns. I think he's done. I, think, I, th- I, think I don't think he'll start. The e- uh, have a meaningful start as an NFL if quarterback. If Luke Jokel can get signed as a starting offensive lineman because of the talent that he showed coming out in the draft, because it certainly wasn't from his time on the field. There's that folio artist again. Because um, it wasn't from his time at, in Jacksonville. 
if he can get re-signed, I just think there's somebody who will look at Oswald and think, I can fix that. But yeah, I think it's totally different when it comes to quarterbacks and any, any position and then quarterbacks. I think any other position, there are things that you can work on. We didn't see anything from Brock Osweiler. We saw nothing from him as a, as a Texan. Perhaps perhaps some movement across the ground, but we saw Matt Ryan run well last year. So I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. The other question is what kind of team Cleveland are going to be next season. And it is obviously so defined by the quarterback, but what they've gone and got in Kevin Zeitler, I mean, if they do kick Cameron Irving out to right tackle, I think they'll look to address that position in the draft anyway. But they've now got a line who can block up front. They've got Isaiah Cruel, who showed really good flashes last year. Um, yes, they brought in the likes of Kenny Britt. They've got Corey Coleman there. I think they need help at receiver as well. But whoever's there, there's a good chance they're going to be very run heavy this season. Is Josh Gordon done? Is that he's, if I look at the reserve list, he's still listed. Yeah, well, I mean, he's still technically his rights are with the team. Yeah. But uh, I, there's been no indication of whether the NFL are going to let him back in the league yet or not. So mm-hmm. we don't know the answer to that at the moment. Um, you know, they show Greg Williams coming in, very aggressive defensive coordinator. You'd like to think that that's going to get the best out of players like Jamie Collins, Danny Shelton, who's coming over to, to the UK. But there's definitely less talent on that defence than there is on that offence if we're looking just at the line and the running backs. It's difficult to say they're not a team who have improved in the last two, three months already, but I think it would have been difficult to not improve. Yeah, the the the, the base was so low, wasn't yeah. it, that there's no way that they could have got any worse. Well, yeah, if they start Brock Osweiler, they'll get worse. But <laughs> are they nailed on for the number one pick next year or... No, or not even close. Is it is it that much up in the air? But just because how bad San Francisco are, not even close. And San Francisco are definitely <laughs> in consideration. I think there are other teams in there as well. And I think one of the the reasons that I think they're not in consideration for the number one pick is I don't think they finished bottom of the AFC North this season. Whoa! I think the team that finished bottom of the AFC North, George Iloka plays for them. He won't agree with us, but let's hear what he had to say at the Super Bowl this year, and then we'll get our views on the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, you guys, because you came out only on the Friday, right? And then you, uh, we came on a f- yeah Friday. You morning. just did the couple of days, and yep. then yep. straight back, literally from the game right. to the airport and, yeah. and out again. Yeah, it is. It's crazy, but if they figure it out, I think it's going to end up being a long, long-term thing, and maybe a team. How there do you think the? Um, how do y'all like football there? That's my question. To you. Biggest growing sport in the UK. So it has been for. Nearly 10 years now. Uh, our biggest sports networks, like the equivalent of like our ESPN or, our, or whatever, is um, okay. Sky Sports. Uh, it was the 10th most watched sport on Sky Sports back in like 2006. So it was behind a bunch of stuff like darts and golf. And mm-hmm. uh, it's now up to fifth. Wow. So it's only behind soccer, rugby, cricket, our big sports, as it were, and then okay. tennis, which we have a lot of. Um, yeah, we've got the world number one right now, and, and yeah. Is it, growing, is it growing fast enough and big enough to where um, younger kids are playing it, like how they play it out it's, here? It's the biggest area for them that, to, that they need to grow, and they're trying to grow. Okay. There's no doubt that they are, participation is massive for them. It's a bit odd because they're doing a bit of a top-down situation, like they're trying to get the university game working first, the college game, then going into high schools. Okay. Trying to get participation at that sort of level and then almost bringing it back from there. But... Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how that it goes, but it's definitely going in the right direction, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm positive on it, and I think like I think it'll. Okay. I, I think when that next CBA comes up, as long as uh, your player association 
signs off on everything, I think there'll be a team there in five years. So how would it work logistically in terms of the oh. games? <laughs> they would have to stay. The point you, is they don't. The point is they don't enough. It would make enough money that they'd figure it out. <laughs> okay, but like, see, this is a good topic. This is a good discussion. I have to no, ask George, you. this is okay, this is listen, great. We'll we'll, so, talk, we'll talk about the Bengals and stuff in a minute. Let's talk about let's talk about let's talk about me more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So listen. So I always said. Okay. So if, the t- if there's a team there, we have to pay taxes in two countries. You know. Uh, so that will be figured out. Okay, that'll be when, figured out. When, when the athletes came over for th- London 2012, okay. none of them had to pay any tax on their earnings they, there. And, and there was a big problem with Usain Bolt. He came out a year later okay. and suddenly had to pay tax because he was playing in the country. And it became a whole big thing. They'll find a way around that. I think it'll be hard for a London team to compete unless they give them a little bit of a higher salary cap. Because if you're a player, even if you, you, know, you wipe the taxes away, you just have to pay tax in one country. If, let's say... New York or Cincinnati offers you 30 million and London offers you 30 million. If you're not someone who wants to live in London in the off season, that's an extra cost that you're going to have to, you know, put on your and budget. I, and so it's going to if they're if you're offering the same, you'll lose out on those quality players and that's how your team gets better, you know what I mean? And I, and I tell you, I think we'd end up with the situation very early on like what you saw at the Raiders uh three, four years ago okay. when Reggie first came in and they didn't have a good team and they didn't have a good reputation. He had to sign those older aging free agents okay. pay them over the odds and I, I like you speak to older players you speak to guys who are in their 30s and you say would you come and play for london team they're like yeah hey, yeah, yeah definitely. absolutely i'd right. come and sign my last contract get probably a bit overpaid and come out and play in london right younger guys guys coming out of college it's not so much something they're interested in so you're absolutely right george and it's, it's i good think it'll work out but they'll this. have to work like you say i work a few things out of there to, to give a london team of you know a fair shot at some free agents you know what I mean yeah absolutely well this is I, I'm just going to throw this all into the conversation as well this is George Aloka of the uh, Cincinnati Bengals free safety and uh, uh, he's been asking us about London Ollie because uh, he wants to know more about it have but you asked where you can continue to build up your guns <laughs> holy moly look at that <laughs> chill what's going on <laughs> I, I left a little bit as you can oh, tell jeepers creepers <laughs> some football players kind of lose, let themselves go in the off season not you oh, no, I've, been, uh, re- I've been rehabbing and things like that up in Cincinnati so wow. I've been on it yeah wow <laughs> George you gave that 30 million dollar number when you mentioned it there in Cincinnati I used that my number to like that's that's exactly what you got paid Mm -hmm, a year ago and and, and like you say maybe you wouldn't have taken that in London but I'm wondering I was excited about the Bengals going to this season I genuinely thought that last year you were a couple of moments I I think if honestly even though um, I really like AJ McCarron I actually think Andy Dalton's in that team and you at least win a playoff game and actually I think you're in there to be a, a Super Bowl contender how frustrating was it in the season after that to, to have such a difficult year this year? It was very frustrating. I think as a team, we took a few losses early on, um, especially coming off the previous year when we had a pretty bad emotional playoff loss to the Steelers. We took a few L's back-to-back. I think that kind of deflated us a little bit. I mean, we picked it up second half of the season, started playing a little bit better midway, and then faltered more towards the end again. Uh, but early on, that's what uh, dug us that hole. And when you dig a hole in our division with the uh, the Ravens and the Steelers, it's hard to get out of it. So um, and especially the schedule we had this year, we had a first place schedule because we played a uh, uh, because we won the division the previous year. So you dig a hole with a first place schedule, it's going to be hard to come back in our division. So that's what happened. I'm intrigued as well. In the end, this is kind of a bit of a wide ranging question to come off the back of that. But um, I, I'm fascinated by defensive backfields mm-hmm. in kind of the modern NFL because we hear a lot about how 
teams are now playing 60% of, of nickel or dime packages mm -hmm. and it's not that traditional four guys back there, two corners, free safety, strong safety kind of formation. Uh -huh. you, you had a really good, strong relationship with, uh, with Reggie Nelson the previous season. Mm -hmm. and. and how important is a tandem between a couple of safeties and how big of it was for you to lose that guy alongside you? Is it as big a deal now in a day where you're playing five or six defensive backs? Um, uh, I would just say initially in uh, OTAs, and that's our camp, uh, it took some getting used to, some adjusting, and just you know working out my language with me and, uh, me and uh, Sean. Uh, but by the time we got to the season, after a few games, it felt like he's been back there for four or five years with me. I mean, Reggie's been my guy for four years. We played together back there. Uh, but once me and Sean worked out the communication, it felt great. I mean, the system's the same. Uh, it's our job to make a lot of checks in terms of the coverage and things like that. And so when me and him were on the same page, as safeties were clicking as a um, secondary. Just on that, because it is interesting, your team does play that real two deep high safety look. And, and I look to this game this weekend that it's something we have seen out of teams this season when they've tried to match up against a guy like Julio Jones because you can then get that support over the top. Mm -hmm. Then you see like a team like Atlanta and they've got so many <laughs> weapons in the run game, it just invites the run off you if you've not got mm -hmm. that safety support. So if, if you're looking at facing a team like the Falcons and the, where they have got so many options, how much at the beginning of the week are you thinking to yourself, right, I'm not doing my usual job this week. I'm going to be getting up, I'm getting well, in the box, and I'm getting well, involved. And our, in, in our defense, our game plan every time is you want to stop the run with seven. You don't want to have to stop the, uh, stop the run with eight. If you have to stop the run with eight as a defense in the NFL, you're going to have some issues in the pass game if you play a team that has any good, decent receiver, good, decent receiver like Julio, those top guys and things like that. AJ so, Green. AJ Green. Any of those guys you want to, you want to stay in shell for the most part. But if a team's running the ball, you have to bring the safety down to stop that. So if, you, if, you're, if we're doing a good job stopping the run, we'll do a good job in the, in the passing game because then we can have more guys drop back in coverage. So if we were playing the Falcons like we did a few years ago, we'll try to stop the run. And if we can't stop the run in the seven-man box, then we'll usually fare pretty well in the passing game because we're going to drop back in coverage as a secondary. Well, in which case, how key is it to have guys like Geno Atkins and Demata Peko up front? Yeah, we got uh, Geno. We have uh, Carlos. Those are our two top rushers. Uh, they're both in the Pro Bowl a couple days. I mean, last week they're in the Pro Bowl. And uh, we have some other guys that, you know, do some good things for us. Uh, Mike, uh, Peko, and um, uh, Wallace have been there for a few years. So when those guys are on their A game, it helps us all out. Early in the year, um, as the defense were struggling, and then they picked up their rushing, the passer, and then we picked it up as a defense as well. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the, when I want to look on that side of the ball because I look at this again, you've got Alan Branch and Malcolm Brown who have been so impressive in, in the recent months in that central position in stopping the run and maybe that's the way that it needs to be done to, to stop the Falcons. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, that's what you would, that would be your game plan. Yeah. So we, we'll give Bill a call, shall we? Uh, <laughs> Belichick is he's one of the smartest coaches out there. Anytime you think you have him figured out, he has a, a counter move, so to say. You know what I mean? With him, his chest, with some people, it's, you know, his checkers. So, um, um, that's why he's been in the position he's been in every year, and he's always up there kind of, you know, in the Super Bowl and things like that, and that's because of his um, football genius. Uh, the, Bengals defense, the, the Bengals defense has got a bit of a reputation for being a hard-hitting, mm -hmm. uh, and some would say cheap shot-making. Mm. Uh, Who said that? Give up your source. You just did. You just said that. Give up your source. A lot of Steelers <laughs> might say that, but Steelers. we don't listen to it. I, I, I'd say <laughs> some, some game announcers that, 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 that you hear from, right. from a, 
you know, calling the games when we're over in the UK, but they're American game announcers. Mm -hmm. They're the guys that call the games here. Uh -huh. Vontae's Perfect has, has been a guy that's been singled out for, mm -hmm. for dishing out some special treatment. Is that something that you guys take notice of, or does it annoy you that, that you've got this reputation? And also, do you think it affects how referees ref you? I think it doesn't bother us. I do think it affects how referees um, ref us. Uh, I would say later in the year, they were so. Some of them were, I don't say trigger happy because not a gun. They were like trigger happy in terms of with the flag. Like if it was even close, sure. they were gonna call it, and that might might have been because of the reputation. So um, it doesn't bother us in terms of what people think because if you're getting that reputation, it is usually because you're hitting hard and stuff like that. And I'd rather have that than the other way around, which is, oh, you're a soft defense. You know what I mean? So, but, yeah, I think it affects us a little bit with the refs that they might be a little quicker to call certain flags just because of the reputation, definitely. Have you gone up against Julio Jones? Mm -hmm. Two years ago, uh, my second year, we played them at home. Mm -hmm. I actually had two picks that game. So, yeah. Oh, there well, we go. Yeah, Who, who's harder to, co to cover? Who's the better wide receiver, yeah, A.J. Green I, I or Julio Jones? I mean, you couldn't be wrong. I mean, I know everyone tells you the answer because it's true. I mean, AJ did things this year that, you know, it's crazy. I think one time he was triple covered and you caught the ball. Uh, amazing one-hand catches. He does it all. Um, they're a little bit different in their style. AJ's like, has a huge catch radius, real athletic, catches everything. Julio's real explosive in terms of after the catch and stuff like that. So, but... They're both one and two, two and one. However you decide to put them, you wouldn't be wrong. George, good luck for the next season. Oh, man, thanks for having we want, me. We want you to come over to the, to the UK. And when they get that team, you know, tell the right people, give, me a, give me a call. And <laughs> we want that. We want that. Uh, George Oloko. Thanks for having me. Big pleasure, man. Thank you. Take care. So, George Oloko of the Cincinnati Bengals. Lovely man. Delightful. Good interview. Well done, Ollie. You did a bulk of that one after I buggered off to go and find JJ. Yeah, you did a great job, though. Uh, <laughs> well done, everybody. Yeah, Let's all pat ourselves on the back. Great stuff there. I loved George. I thought he was great. Um, he's a massive bloke. For, particularly for the position he plays. Yeah. Well, anyone next to me is a massive bloke. But I, th I remember Josh taking a picture of of George, and I call him George now, uh, George and I, and he's, and he's, he's, he's rock hard. You touch him, he's just he's just a hard, he's hard, Sherry. Not like you two who are a bit kind of uh, soft when you touch you. He's just hard, hard, he's so, rock sorry. hard. <laughs> Sherry is a touch soft. I am like hugging a marshmallow. <laughs> if we're doing a scale, <laughs> if we're doing one to Gavin, <laughs> then... <laughs> Sherry's, Sherry's like a, a flabby thumb and you're like a, a marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost would Rather rather be a marshmallow than a flabby thumb. That's horrible. Um, does, is there anyone who, with Cleveland's losses so far this off season, and the key is clearly on that offensive line that wasn't performing particularly well prior to this anyway? Um, they are putting themselves in a position to fail. There's no doubt about that in my mind at this point. Um, why? They're relying, well, they're relying on Cedric Abui and Jake Fisher to come in and start, potentially at the tackle positions, potentially, potentially kicking one of them inside. They were picked first and second round in the draft a few years ago, and neither of them have shown the ability to, to perform up to a top level. Now, I get that they've got great weapons. Tyler Eifert, AJ Green, the Jeremy Hill-Giovanni-Bernard combination, if they can both stay healthy, is exciting. The problem is with those but, two names that you mentioned, though, they're never fit. They're at, never fit for, at, at for the same any time, length of time. <laughs> And 
the problem is if they're not going to protect Andy Dalton, then it doesn't matter if AJ Green can get downfield and you can throw him jump balls and he can beat double coverage. It doesn't matter that Tyler Eifert's a big red zone threat because he's not going to get the ball out of his hands. He may end up being the most sacked quarterback in the league this season. Yeah, I think there's going to be some... I mean, they're the obvious team to take a huge step back from what they've been in recent times, the Bengals, and I don't think there's many people disagreeing with that, is there, at the moment. What do they need to do, Sherry? It's a tough one because they kind of caught in a massive holding pattern with a, with a head coach who's basically been a bit of a lame duck for several years, even when they were in the playoffs. Um, so the reality is you're immediately looking to the year after for the Bengals because I imagine this would be this would be the last season of the current coaching staff if they have another year like last year and Dalton's healthy all the way through. And then they may need to make a decision on whether Andy Dalton can be the a guy, and I think he can. But the problem with the Bengals is there's a natural ceiling because they're not willing to spend huge amounts of money. Um, and it, it's just a really difficult, difficult team to be a supporter of for that reason because you're always only going to get to a certain level as things are currently constructed. And look, they re-signed a couple of their own guys. They, uh, I mean, George Iloko's on that long-term contract anyway, Drake Kirkpatrick re-signing, but, you know, it's just uninspiring moves like, okay, so Carlos Dansby was only on a one-year deal and he leaves. You bring in Kevin Minter in his place. Like, it's not really an upgrade and maybe linebacker somewhere they look in the draft, but I, I just... They're, what, they're a team who have got talent throughout and a year ago we were talking about them as one of the, one of the most talented rosters in the league but who who's the kind of standout player who's going to grab them by the scruff of the neck and carry them over the line there's just nobody to me that appears to be that kind of player yeah and that's the issue and and they're still so ill-disciplined and so there's that element running as well and yeah, I mean I just think it's problems all the way around for the Bengals and it's, they'll, they'll if you look at uh, who they're playing this season, it, it says something about how far the Bengals have slipped, that when they've got the the AFC South, and you think, oh, which has got, gotten stronger in this off-season, they've got the, uh, the conference opponents of the Bills and the Broncos play the Broncos away, and then they're only really looking at the Bears and the Lions at home as home games from the AF, NFC North. They could, they could struggle to get six wins this season. Oh. And I... Th- I think, I think that's being quite generous. Yeah, no, I think they could be in the the first overall pick mix. I th- I think that there's too much raw talent there for them to be, unless the first overall pick mix is is more like it was a couple of seasons ago, where you know you could end up with the first overall pick with four wins. If it's anything like the last couple of years, where you know the the first overall pick is doing it off one or two wins, I think that they'll better that. But I think if if we're at this point buying into the hype of what teams have already done and there's nobody who slips off massively, if it's four, if it's five wins, you could get you into that top two or three, then maybe. But I don't think they're quite at that level. And they'll always pick up wins in the in that really tough dis- division where it's decided by one or two points because of a busted final play, that kind of thing. They'll always pick up wins there. So perhaps six, five, six wins is about right and, and what we're looking at with the Bengals. 
Uh, let's talk. Uh, we'll, we'll save the Steelers for last because uh, we've not got an interview for that. Uh, let's hear from Brandon Williams. Now, this interview, as we said earlier, this was done uh, uh, ahead of him signing his new deal. So we talk about his new deal in the interview um, and the fact that we think he should get paid. He has got paid. He is the highest paid nose tackle in the league. I think that's massively important for that Ravens defensive line and for the way that defense operates. Uh, and he was a delightful bloke as well. Let's be honest, the first thing he said to us that morning, because it was the morning after the media party, and I don't know about you guys, I was feeling like Ollie was last Friday morning. Um, and he was like, well, let's just get on the beers now. I immediately fell in love with him. So uh, <laughs> Let's face it, you fall in love with no tackles or any NFL player rather quickly and Bra- easily. Uh, Brandon Williams, nose tackle of the Baltimore Ravens. Joined on Radio Row bright and early on uh, Wednesday morning. It is Wednesday, right? Yeah. Hump day. Just getting that one right. Uh, by uh, nose tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. Free agent, of course, this off-season. Brandon Williams. He's just said to us it's never too early for a beer. So already this is our favourite <laughs> interview of the day. Uh, Brandon, uh, first of all, how are you enjoying your Super Bowl experience? Radio Row getting down here. I mean, I'm sure yeah. you want to be here as a player, obviously. Oh, but yeah, for sure. I'm doing good, though. Good, good. Having fun. Uh, just got here Monday night, so... You know, it's early, but, you know, slowly and surely, everything, every day is getting better and better. Uh, let's be honest. Do we look at the, the position you play at defensive tackle? Uh-huh. We look at recent off-seasons, whether it's Ndamukong Sue, whether it's uh, Malik Jackson. It's a position where guys are getting paid right now. And yeah, it is. I think you, you're due a pay this year. <laughs> How much do you want that to still be in Baltimore? I mean, I'd love to be in Baltimore. I love Baltimore. Baltimore is awesome, but it's also a business, so... Uh, Whatever happens, happens, kind of thing. Um, I, I won't be upset if they, you know, don't keep me. I, you know, I'll be ecstatic if they do. Um, I just know um, that something's coming, whether it's with Baltimore or someone else. I mean, it's just a journey for me. I get. I guess Brandon as well. I mean, not that the the third round pick salary that you had is something to be sniffed at, and I'd happily get that <laughs> salary. For example, yeah. we're not but, paying you that. <laughs> but, uh, what? But. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you yeah. say it's a business. A player gets one, maybe two windows to cash in on a career, and I'm assuming that has to be the priority for yourself for the office. Oh, definitely. I got family to take care of. You know, I got things that, you know, I, ha- I have responsibilities for. So um, if it fits with Baltimore, I mean, I'd love for it to be. But if not, then so, fo- so on and so forth, you know. I, I mean, I guess you know, on the road again, you know, just trying to find out who's going to be I'm gonna be with. But, I mean, if it is Baltimore, I would love it. I mean, it's a place I've been for four years. It's it's not new to me. You know, I know what I'm getting myself into. I know the scheme, the plays, and all that stuff. So going to somewhere else and learning a whole new scheme and plays would be different. But, I mean, I'm up for it if it has to happen. And with that scheme in Baltimore, we've been making friends with our friend over at 98 Rock from Baltimore, a guy that uh, <laughs> Kirk, who I Kirk, think you know yeah. quite well, who... who he was saying to us, man, they've just got to pay Brandon because what you do up front and the fact that the, the way that that scheme works, being able to take two linemen, two blockers and let yeah. the linebackers go and do their thing. Oh, yeah. If they lose you in the same offseason, and we'll talk about it in a moment with Zach Orr, but it feels like they need that stoutness up front for that Baltimore Ravens scheme is so important. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's our number one motto with the Ravens, stopping the run, you know, um, and that's definitely mainly on the, on the middle of the defense, the front seven, so linebackers and defensive linemen. So, I mean, losing Zach Orr, it was, a, it was a tragedy. Oh, my goodness. He was just coming into his own. 
He was starting to get, you know, he's a tackling machine already, you know, starting to get his way up, building himself up, and then, you know, this kind of hits him like a ton of bricks. Um, it, it stinks to lose him, and, you know, he's a great guy, but uh, he's taking it very well. But I know he wants to be out there. But, yeah, the, the middle of a defensive line is a big – it's a big thing to any defense, you know. you got to have great inside interior linemen to stop the run because even though it's getting into a pass-happy league, you know, most teams, you know, start passing by running the ball. You know, you have to honor the run. And, you know, everything's about sacks and pass and touchdowns and stuff, but you can't rush the passer if you're there running the ball down your throat and every down there, you know, getting four to five yards a gain because then you, you have no opportunity to rush the passer. So I feel that stopping the runs is still important, and it's even more important than getting to the passer. And, and I mean, if anything might be a – symbolic of that it could be this weekend because the New England defensive front Alan Branch and Malcolm Brown they're two guys like yourself who rather than trying to get downfield their job is to gap integrity and clog it up the middle of the field and we know how this league is copycat so yeah. if the Patriots win the Super Bowl a guy like yourself could become even more in vogue over the off season. yeah I mean I'm, I'm up for whatever you know my I, my journey is just starting so we'll see what happens it's business but I'm ready for anything I mean the biggest thing is in the end something will happen and something will get done so um, I'm excited every day just the biggest thing now this offseason spend time with my family hang out have fun with them um, and just enjoy the process just just can I just get one final one in on that I mean what's it like now are you, are you and your agent communicating with the Ravens right now and are you looking to see what's out there and, and go through that legal tampering, tampering period just to kind of get a feel for what other mm -hmm. money's out there before you commit to any deal um, I guess I mean I guess they're talking now I haven't heard anything from my agent so I mean once I guess they hear something from them I'll hear something from him so haven't heard anything quite yet, uh, but just uh, just hopeful, just uh, keeping a positive mindset. Pretty much right now, any every everything's out of my control, so I'm not gonna worry about it. I'm not gonna you know kind of just dig into it and think too much about it because, in the end, I trust my agency. You know, sports trust. I, I trust them and what they do. I, I trust you know Bill Johnson, Pat Dye, Jr. to get everything done and set everything up for me. I mean, that's why I picked them because I love them and trust them that much. Just coming back to the defense of this year, and you talked about the offseason, and I, I thought it was really telling with the Ravens and, and an organization that I know a lot of UK fans hope you stay with, particularly with the chance to come over to London this year. But when the Zach Orr situation did happen, we first started hearing about it. We heard, you know, the team wanted to try and get him to stick around and, and see if it was a, a situation that could be healed and could be sorted. But, uh -huh. but when it became clear how serious it was and, and he had his retirement press conference, that was really telling that Eric Weddle was there and CJ Mosley was there. I don't know if you managed to get there yeah, yourself. I, I heard about it. I was leaving town the next day, so I couldn't make it. But uh, I wanted to be there. I, I really haven't talked to him about it yet. I mean, I just, it's hard. How to, do you approach that? It's like, how do you approach that? that? How do you talk to him? I mean, I've had, I've had, you know, it's kind of a misfortune of having the game taken away from me in college. I had, you know, four back surgeries and all that stuff. I, you know, I finally got a chance to come back. And I had, you know, when I had that game taken away from me, it was devastating. I listened to the game on radios and like crying, bawling because I may not ever play that game again. So to, to approach him and talk to him about him knowing that he's not going to play again and like, him, you know, he, even though I saw the press conference, he's real humble about it, and you know, he's taking it very well. But still, it's, it's just a tough thing to, you know, kind of talk to a guy and be like, "Hey, man, I'm gonna miss you." You know, me taking a two for you and you running through the making tackles. You know, it's gonna be crazy. But uh, 
I mean, I'm pretty sure he's a great guy. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's very approachable and personable. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for him still. And and obviously now, for all of us, the focus is Sunday. You guys played the Patriots. It was actually a game that was bizarre in that the, the Patriots got out ahead early and, and kind of spotted you guys a couple of touchdowns. That was one of maybe Tom Brady's best performances of the season, given the quality of your defence. You had the number one defence in football heading into that game. How unique a challenge is the Patriots from a defensive perspective and, and what's it like as a defensive lineman trying to get to Tom Brady when he's getting the ball out in, in 1.8 seconds? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> tough. I mean, the biggest thing is try to get as much push back as possible and get your hands up. Um, I, I was close two times to getting to him and he just kind of slipped out a little bit. Um, but it's the biggest thing about getting to Tom Brady, you just, you just got to kind of you gotta trust, trust your technique because he's a technician in himself. And the, the, their schemes run off of, you know, it's like a cookie cutter. They can plug anybody in and do the same thing. That's, how, that's why they're so good. Um, because sometimes you see people like, who is this guy? But he's doing a great job because the, the scheme. Um, it's just, uh, you just got to get to them. Trust in your technique. You know, don't try to do too much because then they'll exploit you. So that's the biggest thing right there. In, in terms of, uh, it's the Falcons who are going to be after the team that do that. And, and their internal pressure hasn't been necessarily the, the most impressive part of their game this year mm -hmm. but then on the other side a, a lot of guys that we've talked about when we've asked about how do you stop that Falcons offense they might not be a team you've played this year but I don't know if you've got to see them play and see what mm -hmm. Kyle Shanahan's been putting oh, yeah. together but oh, yeah. is it as simple as stop the run and you've got an opportunity or is that offense too varied to make it that simple I mean the Falcons offense is very, you know, diverse and you can go through the air with Julio and the, the, the great wide receiving core. You can take it on the ground with, you know, with Freeman. I mean, it, it's it, it's it's pretty diverse and dynamic. Um, the biggest thing, I think, to stop them, I mean, it always starts with stopping the run first. You know, try to make them one dimensional, try to, you know, with them not getting the runs. I mean, it's a lot more times for him to sit back there and try to get sacked, try to get the ball off of him. So, I mean, like, it comes back to always stopping the run because you make them one-dimensional, they can do one thing, and if they're doing one thing, you can kind of anticipate what they're trying to do, especially if they need to get a first down or need to get, you know, a deep play. And um, I, what always interests me with a guy like yourself is is how much are you watching film on other guys at your position in the league? I'm thinking for yourself, somebody maybe like Vince Wilfork a few mm -hmm. years ago, somebody like that. I mean, is that something that you do a lot of to... I, when, when I watch games, yeah, that's the that's the biggest thing I do. I watch the defensive line. I'm just like critiquing, critiquing, just trying to be like, no, what are you doing? No, what, wait, come on. Oh, dang, he just got blown up, like stuff like that. Like, so I'm, I'm that's my biggest thing. I'm watching the uh, defensive linemen and just seeing seeing what they're doing, seeing what's out there. Just you know, I mean, seeing maybe like. It's 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 uh, free agency, so maybe just seeing like oh wow this guy's this team's not playing the run well they could you know use a guy <laughs> like yeah. me you know stuff like that you know or whatever so I mean I'm just looking critiquing and just you know watching good games of football. I guess we saw the the difference a guy like yourself could make with Snacks Harrison for the Giants this uh -huh. year. What a he, difference! He basically turned their run defense from one of the worst ones in the league to maybe the best in football, and and that's the kind of impact a guy like yourself can have. Right. I mean I feel like. I'm a run stopper. I mean, I can stop the run. I can take two guys. I I got I'm quick. I can move sideline to sideline. You know, um, I feel like I'm all over the place. I can. I mean, I guess I'm a run stopper, but I'm also not just a two down guy. 
You know, you can use me in other places. You can use me as a third down, kind of push the pocket guy, and I can get to the quarterback. I got pass rush ability. So I feel like I can be used in any way of the sense um, of just being a defensive lineman, just kind of wreaking havoc in the middle. This is like a job interview. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd, I'd fail you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and what, Where do I sign? <laughs> uh, and there is the chance potentially to come over to London this year if you do end up staying yeah. in Baltimore. I mean, there are seven other teams coming over, so uh -huh. maybe you end up with one of those guys. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, it, it, I, I wonder, and we've got to almost ask this question for our audience, but is that something when that's announced? I know we spoke with Eric Weddle during the season and he said that like he was really excited because he'd been before. But do mm -hmm. you guys hear that announcement, see that in the locker room and does it become a buzz thing? And you can say no if it doesn't. That is absolutely no, fine. It comes one of those things it's like you're just thinking you're thinking game plan. You're thinking like your routine, all right, we got a long flight. You know, I mean, it's not that long. It's not about, it was about six, seven. For, from eight. Baltimore, it's probably about nine seven, out, seven, eight, eight, nine eight hours. hours. Eight, yeah, nine hours. Oh, no, I'll take you out. It's probably about seven or eight, and then back, it's probably I'm going to give you an so. exact time. You keep to Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, you got a long flight, so you got to think about jet lag. You got to think about different time zone. You got to think about all this stuff, and you're just trying to hone into, like, all right, make it as much as home as possible and somewhere else. But at the same time, you got the... I wouldn't say distraction, but, yeah, it's distraction, the outside noise of it being London. You want to see everything you can see while you're there because, I mean, who knows if you're going to come back. I mean, most people don't. So, I mean, I want to go there. I want to go there just to walk around, see everything I can. But, I mean, you got that and then you got family members. It's just a bunch of outside noise that's coming around with a game like that. You want family members to come. Or if you have a wife, or wife and kids, you want them to come and experience, you know, London because why not? kind of thing so I mean it's going to be dif different it's going to be fun it's going to be kind of nerve-wracking it's going to be a little bit of everything but I'm excited to play in London never been in London never been over the the big pond so you know <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be there I'm excited to have fun I'm excited to try escargot and whatever you guys got <laughs> that's definitely know. not British food it's not <laughs> British food I don't know or whatever it is it's all right just so everything. you do know if you do come with snacks was over this year snacks. with the Giants what is it and he'd been the year before with the Jets and he said the main most important thing to him was they'd started to get the portion sizes right over the previous years so uh, oh, don't worry okay. if you're getting so like smaller portions, you're uh, yeah. at least getting a lot of yeah. it. That's right, the main cool. thing. A lot of food is good. Final thing Crockett Gilmore was with us yesterday, yeah. And we said to him that we we're going to be speaking to you today, and he said, Oh, Brandon's already here, he's asleep back in the hotel, yeah. So, you guys oh, yeah. sharing a room, having a bit of fun while you're out here, you're gonna let loose a bit during Super Bowl week, yeah. Gonna have fun, gonna go hit a couple of the parties, uh, just have a good time. I mean, I know so we got Snoop Wiz, we got DJ Khaled coming, so there's a few things that. I'm gonna try to bounce a little bit of every one, you know. Try to get my, you know, get my fun in while I can. I've got a couple of final things to say. Seven-hour <laughs> flight. Seven-hour flight. Secondly, we are not doing anything tonight or tomorrow. So if you want to invite us to a party, <laughs> that is absolutely your prerogative, <laughs> and we'll be up for it. Uh oh, uh oh. You guys aren't the rowdy kind, are you? <laughs> we can, we, we can, we can be. be whatever you we want. Be. Us to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't need no TMZ here. No, 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 no. In today's news last night, Brandon Williams was a poor British man, and they just got in a fight in the club. <laughs> if we do get in a fight, you're going to have to be front and center. <laughs> yeah. No way. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I have to leave you guys to yourselves. I wasn't in it. <laughs> Brandon, really good fun. Thank you for coming down and speaking right, with us. I appreciate it. Thanks good for man. having me. Brandon Williams, nose tackle of the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not going to lie. 
I felt like Matt Sherry over the last uh, uh, over the last couple of conversations was already dealing with whatever situation it is that's pulled him away. He's had to go and deal with something, so it's just me and Ollie at this point. Uh, I felt like he was a little distracted already. So we've let Matt Sherry go. It's just me and Ollie. I hope that that's okay for everyone. It's okay for me. Good stuff. Baltimore Ravens. Let's start on the defensive side of the balls. We've just heard from Brandon Williams. Resigning him was so mm. absolutely massive for them because. They are so, as you heard from him, based on stopping the run up front. And when they've lost what they've lost in the middle of the pack there, in terms of uh, Zach or Lee uh, going to retirement mm-hmm. and various other... Uh, their linebacking core, you've got Terrell Suggs, who has been doing incredible things in his mid-30s, but he's in his mid-30s. Yeah, there, there will be a point where he'll drop off. Albert McLennan on the other side, who I think what they expected was that the, the sill linebacker would end up being Kamale Correa, who they signed in the second round last year, who I was a, a huge fan of, but he really didn't have any impact last season. So realistically, of those four across their linebacking course, CJ Mosley is the only top-level guy who is going to be a top-level guy for a number of years. I, they've done great stuff. That I, I'd like I'd like Brandon Carr opposite Jimmy Smith. I think that's great. Tony Jefferson and Eric Weddle are now, for me, the best safety pairing in the league, and I am including Seattle in that because I think the drop-off in the play in the last year or so from Seattle on the back end of their defense has been apparent. When I say drop-off, I mean they've dropped from like the number one ranked defense to the number four or something like that. So yeah. don't Seahawks fans don't start hitting me up. And there's every chance that you know we could get a fully fit pet safety pairing in, in Seattle and they they get back up to being the number one again. But Weddle and Jefferson for me are incredible. They need to sort those linebackers out. And I just I feel like they don't know what they are on offense. Lastly. The, They've got they've got Mike Wallace there, and that's obviously a good deep threat. And Joe Flacco has got a great arm. But well, yeah, he's got a great arm, but I think he was second last in throws downfield over thirty yards for accuracy in the in the NFL stunning. last season, which is which is actually unbelievable when you've got someone like Mike Wallace on your side. And I, I totally understand what you're saying. What are they on offense? Because Javaris Allen, Kenneth Dixon didn't really do anything last year. Well, the, we, the we, wide heard, we heard aren't all great. about how those running backs were going to be great, didn't we? We heard all uh, about how Buck Allen was going to be the next big thing. We heard like it, it never really. They they kind of rotated running backs at a ridiculous rate. They didn't run the ball anywhere near enough. Now. That's the big thing for me is that they need to refine their identity on offense. Because if they do, I think they've got a potential AFC North winning team, and I think they can push and run the the Steelers in a big way. I just <sighs> linebackers and figuring that they lost uh, Rick Wagner and Kalechi Osemele over the last couple of years. Added Ronnie Stanley in the last draft. He's been good, but not great. They lost Carl Uzcheck, and yes, they've got Danny Woodhead, who I'd love as a third down back, and actually I think he's underrated as a first two down back. But they just need to help Joe Flacco out. Yeah, it 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 says something when you look at their death or their their depth chart. They've got six tight ends and five wide receivers, and of those wide receivers, Prashad Perryman hasn't really come on like we thought he would do. I think he was really set back by his um, by his injury. Chris Moore, I mean, we spoke to him at the Super Bowl. He's a, he's a he's a, a young, quick, small slot guy. But do you mean Keenan Reynolds? 
That's who we spoke to at the Super Bowl. No, we spoke to Chris Moore. I don't remember speaking to Chris Moore. I definitely spoke to Keenan Reynolds because we did the Keenan uh, and Kel podcast. No, you're right. It's Keenan. <laughs> it's Keenan Reynolds. Which more did we speak to? Oh no, that's the guy from the Texans. The, yeah, the second string safety from yeah, the Texans. Sorry, thanks for picking me up on that. But you know what I mean. They've 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 got these guys, but there's no one that really jumps off the page. Are they tooling up on on off- on defense and then just hoping offense sorts itself out? I mean, that's been the way the Ravens have won championships. They've won two Super Bowls, and both times it's been on a great defense. And then, okay, Joe Flacco had that phenomenal run, and it was unprecedented what he did as a quarterback in the offseason uh, throughout that run to the Super Bowl when they went to New Orleans and beat the 49ers. But... Yeah, I just feel like unless they help him out in the draft, and that should be their big focus on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, there are great linebackers in this draft as well. I don't think one of the top two names is going to fall to them, but linebacker, if can the front of their line hide? And I love Timmy Jernigan as well. Although if Timmy Jernigan's still on the team in twelve months, they're going to have to renegotiate some of their other deals because he's going to get paid in a big way. I love the front. I love the back end. Is that enough to hide the linebackers? And are they going to figure out what they are on offense? Because if you go and get a top level running back and you become a very run heavy team and then you use play action and allow Joe Flacco to throw the ball down the field off play action. All of that has worked in Baltimore before. Let's go back to that again. I'll tell you what, if it, they picked at 16, if Charles Harris falls to 16, I think they pick him. Oh, because he is a, a, a great three, four outside linebacker, a defensive end fits in with that system that, 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 the, the Ravens play perfectly. If if he falls to them, that's who they pick. Ooh. If he doesn't, I'd expect them to pick the next high or the highest available running back. So you've got options there as a Ravens fan and in, 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 in the Ravens back office. Who, what direction their draft could go? I think it. They could even move up from sixteen to say twelve to get their their ultimate guy. Get their man. But. You know, it, it, if Ruben Foster slips to around that middle range, that kind of 10, 11, 12, I would move up and go and grab him. That would be the the signing to make. But I actually think more and more so, I don't think he's going to fall like that. Mm. So um, fascinating, really interesting one to watch. And then we've got the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been the class of the AFC North of recent times. And often we've thought of them as the team that are going to challenge at the, at the top of, of the uh, top of the pile. Now, the various issues with Le'Veon Bell that have happened uh, is one thing. And I still, the, the tender hasn't been signed yet, has it? The te- well, I think the tender's been signed, but the tender, the, the, the date hasn't passed for mm. when they can get the guys done on a long-term deal. So I still think they'll get him done long-term. Uh, players they've brought in in this off-season, Niall Davis, who I think is the uh, kind of, I think Niall Davis is underrated and I think is the ideal kind of guy to have there as, as a potential complement and fill-in guy you're most morning. You're 30 points up on a team. You can run the same offense with Niall Davis you do with Le'Veon Bell nowhere near to the same level but he does what Le'Veon Bell does to a lower level and that means you can then rotate him out and give Le'Veon Bell some time to stay fit Niall Davis I think primarily has been signed for special teams because the Steelers had to use Antonio Brown when uh, Marcus I think, was it Marcus Wheaton who dropped two consecutive punts or and, or and or kick returns they really struggled on special teams and it, I think it, Niall Davis who has that special teams pedigree I, I, that's why he's been brought in of course it helps the, the fact that he's a decent running back but special teams is where the, the Steelers have really struggled and I, I know it's a bit weird to be talking about special teams in this way but 
it, 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 it plugs a gap where you can then concentrate elsewhere. They did what they needed to do in terms of they got the Antonio Brown extension done and they kicked the tyres on a couple of players. Uh, Davon House was there. Um, gone back to Green Bay. Uh, gone back to Green Bay. Dante Hightower was obviously in the building as well. Uh, so th- there, there were options that have that, that have come in and, and been there. I, you know, bringing in Cody Sensabar is uh, just, you, you can never have enough cornerbacks and... and it, it's one thing to to bring in a guy who's going to be right down on the depth chart. Justin Hunter, I mean, it's another speed guy into that receiving core. But if they can get a good level of play and consistency out of the big three, keep them all fit and healthy. Yeah. Ladarius Green can build on the flashes that he showed last season and give Antonio Brown a secondary, faster, deeper threat so Antonio Brown isn't triple covered at all times. Their offense should be fine. Should be. Um, and I love the middle of their line and everything else. I lo- looking down at the names in the middle of their line, you know, I mean, DeCastro, Pouncey, Villanova. It's there's there's some really really Rimmer Foster. They're really good players there, and and they played brilliantly together last season. They they clearly saw that they need to get a bit younger and a bit more talented on the defensive side of the ball. You know, relying on James Harrison, even though they're still tweeting out videos of him deadlifting a ludicrous amount of weight and stuff like that. That's all great. Where do they? Where do they? Where do you think the Steelers will draft? What 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 are we looking at here? Because looking at it. I'm, I'm thinking either defensive linemen or really getting one of those stellar cornerbacks or, or one of the stellar backfield players that this draft is laden with in that in the, in the, at the top of it. I'm still I'm still at the point with the draft where I'm I'm still learning and developing my knowledge of it because we just don't. Ah, oh, they pick thirty. We so don't that's, spend a, that's like time. a second round pick for the yeah. for the students. They pick thirty, so it will be whoever's top of their their draft chart the 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 next best player but if I, if I were them because of what they've got in James Harrison they've got him for another year Ryan Shazier Bud Dupree and perhaps a and other that they they'll pick up in a later round I don't think linebacker core is where they do it so it's either side there wide receivers they're going to get Martavis Bryant back He's, he and many other teams would be a number one receiver. So What's kind of fascinating is that last year they brought in three rookies on that defense and they all played to a really high level. Artie Burns solidified the, you know, the, the perimeter corner. Sean Davis stepped up in a big way alongside Mike Mitchell in the yep. center. Javon Hargrave got that defensive line together when Cameron Haywood was out. You know, William Gay is always there or thereabouts. But, but, but they, the point is, with three rookies, they did brilliant things, and they, that defense down the stretch was absolutely superb. Sure. I, I, you kind of feel like when you're looking at the defensive draft, it's meant to be a defensive-heavy draft this year, and corner in particular. I think corner could be a really interesting position. I think pass rush could be... They've, they've lost Jarvis Jones this offseason to the Cardinals. You know, he's not a top, top-level outside linebacker, but he's certainly a, a good, strong rotation guy and a guy who can be a good starter and has got some good speed and everything else. So, And I think he was really good towards the end of last season. So, All right, what about this? Pass, rush and corner are both meant to be good in this draft. They have five picks in the first four rounds. I'd go out and load up on that because you're a team who are pretty loaded already. Yeah. If you can stay healthy on offense, this team should be competing at the top of the AFC. They should be winning the AFC North. Absolutely, hands down. If they're like the team they were in the last eight weeks of last season, this should be a Super Bowl contending team. So go out and load up on those two positions of weakness. Get signed three corners and two pass rushes with those first five picks, and I bet two of them work out for you. Okay. Big Ben, 
because uh, and I know you don't want to talk about it. I, mean, I won't talk. On about the last it. podcast, I made it pretty clear I didn't want to talk. Okay, about this. but it, he is coming to the end of his his uh, the end of the road in maybe the next two or three seasons. Maybe maybe next season. That's presuming he's going to play this season. Jar- uh, Landry Jones has signed on for I think another two years, but. It, 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 not very much money. Zach Mettenberger, I don't expect him to be there next season. If, if they sign the best remaining quarterback left on the board at number 30, or some, some such. I don't, I wouldn't could, have, a, I wouldn't have, they, could I wouldn't they have do an that? issue with it because I like teams that if there's a, if somebody really good slips and it's meant to be a developmental draft and you can have somebody sit behind. It's one, it's the other thing the Steelers have never really done. And, the last three years, it's cost them on a number of times. When we think about who has, when we think about Charlie Batch, when we think about Michael Vick, when we think about yeah. these guys who have come in, the Steelers don't seem to understand that you've got a quarterback who likes to hold onto the ball a little too long, who likes to run around quite a bit, and who is a little bit injury prone. Maybe not as injury prone as he likes to tell us he is. But right now, Landry Jones and Zach Mettenberger is not a good backup situation. Well, and that's what I'm saying. So, so I wouldn't have a problem with it. I just feel like. With the talent on the defensive side, you go corner or or pass rusher in that 30 pick and you find a guy in rounds two, three, four. Because actually, consider what Dak Prescott did last season. And this has been a real bugbear of mine in the offseason that with the Roma stuff going around, that Dallas have found their solution. Yeah, I think if you'd put Connor Cook in the same situation Dak Prescott was last season, I think if you'd put any of the quarterbacks drafted above Prescott... They might not have been reacted in the same way in terms of how cool and calm and collected Prescott stayed, mm. but I bet they would have played up to a level that would have made them look like the best rookie quarterback of that draft, just like Dak Prescott has this past year. Mm. No offence to Wentz or to the guys who were picked right at the top who were, did you know had showed that they have the ability, but they were on poor, much poorer teams. The, the Steelers is somewhere where you can mask a good a rookie quarterback because of how good the line is, because of how good Le'Veon Bell is, because of how good Antonio Brown is. It might be the second best situation a rookie quarterback could go into outside of Dallas. So why not take somebody in the second, third, fourth round, a Davis Webb, someone of that nature who's in that kind of... Uh, there's another young guy who people are really hot on in this kind of a third, fourth round guy who I can't remember his name, but uh, who a lot of people are linking with the 49ers going if they don't go with a quarterback early. It's Trevor Knight one. Have uh, I heard, heard some buzz for Trevor Knight? Uh, <laughs> this is two people who really haven't done enough draft work so far. Um, <laughs> well, if I could if I could point you uh, to um, Bruce Feldman, who was on the Nat Coombs show on Talk Sport. He breaks down the top six or seven quarterbacks in about two minutes, three minutes, but it's it's so good, it, the way he does it. Uh, he, you know, goes through Trubisky, Kaiser, Mahomes, Watson, who he says should be everyone's number one pick. Davis Webb is another. And then he broke down, he said another name, which I've forgotten, um, but... You, you know, i tell you who is there. interesting. i tell you who is interesting. Nate Peterman. Pittsburgh quarterback. Good size. Decent, yeah. decent arm strength. Yeah. Uh, was really impressive at the Senior Bowl, and he played in Pittsburgh. If you can get Nate Peterman in the third round, fourth round, and you can get him in as the backup slash long-term option, and he's a hometown hero, 
That seems that seems like a perfect fit to me. Yeah, great, great work there. That's who they should draft. There we go. We figured it out. Eventually, we figured it out. Uh, brilliant stuff, like Ollie. Uh, you've got to get off to work, and we've had lots of fun, and I've got to edit together two podcasts now. So two podcasts over two days. We did it finally this week. We apologise again for not doing it last week, and as of next week, we might do some more divisional stuff. But I think it's about time we started building up for the draft, Ollie Hunter. Yes. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Um, if you're going on the NFL UK tour. Uh, next, not next week, the week after. Matt Sherry's going to be on a couple of the northern dates. Me and Ollie are going to try and come along to London if it works with our work schedule and speak to a couple of guys. I think we're going to have interviews with all five of, or six of the guys who are over uh, between us and between Matt as well. So we, we, we will bring you some great interviews from that. But also, if we're there, hit us up, tweet us, let us know if you're going down. Love to grab a beer with you before or afterwards. So at Will Gav, at Ollie Hunter, at Gridiron, let us know if you're going along. Um, because, uh, yeah, it'd be good to, to grab a beer with a couple of listeners and, and catch up and uh, talk some football. Uh, otherwise, go to touchdowntrips.com. Listen to our interview with Ben Mortimer from the last show. And thank you very much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. Oh, you didn't ask me if I wanted to say any last final thoughts. Ollie, any final thoughts? No. Four days like no other. A festival like no other. For a bookmaker like no other. Betfred. Get up to £40 in free bets when you sign up using promo code CHELP40 and stake £10 on any Cheltenham race. Betfred. At the heart of Cheltenham. 18 plus. New UK customers only. Available from March 6th to March 13th. £30 free bets credited within 10 hours of first bet settlement. Extra £10 free bets credited if first bet loses. Full terms at betfred.com slash promotions. Keep it fun. Begambleaware.org.